Well, once again, welcome to Harvest. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah. So glad you're here with us today worshiping. And uh, man, what a great start to the morning. Amen. Um, love, love, love our worship team. Love that we get to do this every Sunday with you um, and just be in the presence of the Lord together. So we are going to be continuing on in our series um, this morning, uh, Upside Down Kingdom. Now, we started this back at the beginning of the fall, and we've kind of been walking through step by step uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his instructions, his teachings uh, to his disciples. And uh, we've kind of been breaking it up into little sub-series because it's kind of a long thing, and so we're actually moving into a new sub-series today that I've entitled Servant of the King. Uh, the last couple weeks, he has been uh, talking to us about uh, heart-level righteousness, right? How do we follow him? How do we do things? How do we act in a way that honors the Lord, but it's not just actions and behaviors, that it's from a pure motive of heart, of love, and, and, and dedication to him. And now he's going to kind of shift, and he's going to start no longer telling us how to pursue heart-level righteousness, but how to avoid external behavior-based righteousness, okay? How to avoid the stuff that is just going through the motions and isn't getting to the heart of the matter with Jesus. And he's going to be teaching us how to serve him uh, as the king uh, from the heart, not just from the hands. Are you tracking with me this morning? So he's going to actually hit three topics over the next couple of weeks in this kind of uh, area. And so today he's going to talk about giving. And so I just entitled the message, Give on Behalf of the King. Um, and so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. We have finally officially made it out of chapter 5. And all the members said, amen. Okay, good. We're making some progress here studying God's Word. We are in chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be some hardback black ones there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and follow along with us. So, as you're getting ready there, um, this week I was reading and I, I found this story. Um, there was this man who had worked all of his life, worked hard, uh, saved and saved and saved all this money. He was really kind of a miser, right? And so he was always just trying to hoard and keep it for himself. And, and so he's on his deathbed and just before he's about to die, he calls his wife in and he says, honey, I, I've got one, I got one request for you. When I die, I want you to take all the money I've saved up and bury it with me in the casket. I want to have it with me. And being a good, dutiful wife, she said, okay, honey, I'll do that. So he passes away. They go through the process. They have the funeral. Everything's going well. The funeral is over. They're getting ready to close the casket, and the wife slips out of her seat and walks to the front and takes a white envelope out of her purse and places it in the casket, and they close the casket. As she's walking away, her friend, who knew what the husband had requested, she was there when he requested it, comes up to her and says, are you really sure you want to do this? Is, are, are, I know you said you would, but do you, are you really sure that this is how you want to play this? And she said, I, I gave him my word. I have to do it. So I wrote him a check. Um, hopefully, hopefully, most of us are not that greedy. When I say that greedy, I mean the husband, not the wife. Um, but I think if we're all honest, sometimes our heart struggles in the area of generosity. Sometimes it's easier to want to hold on to stuff than it is to let stuff go, right? 
And, um, and, and here, what Jesus is going to try to show us um, is that, that giving is really about our motive, not about our money. All right? Hear that again. Giving and generosity is really about what Jesus is concerned about is the motive, the heart behind it, not so much the amount or the money or the whatever, right? And so here's kind of the way I've summarized today's message. Giving generously from a heart of humility pleases God greatly. Giving generously from a heart of humility praises, I'm sorry, pleases God greatly. And I hope if you're here today, if you're a follower of Christ, that that is the utmost desire of your heart, is to please the Lord, right? That's why we're here. We're here as his children, as his servants, to please him, to, to bring him honor and glory that we just sang about over and over and over and declaring the glory of God in this place. We are, our lives are meant to show that, to please him in that, and Jesus is going to tell us in this passage that if we want to do that, if we want to please the Lord, we need to be generous from a humble heart. So having said that, let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to start there. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want to read the whole passage this morning, and then we're going to start breaking it down here piece by piece. So here's the first point today that Jesus is making is, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, don't make it about me. And me doesn't mean the pastor. Me means you, okay? Don't make it about me. Don't make it about yourself. When Jesus starts here in verse 1, he says, beware. Now, that's a change of tone, right, in the message. So far, it's been blessed are these people and blessed are those people and do this and do this and do this. And now he comes with this beware statement. And when the almighty, all-powerful, creator of all things, power over sin and death guy, when he says beware, we probably want to listen up. You would agree with that this morning? Like, he's probably got something important here that he wants us to know. And this verse here, verse 1, is actually a heading not just over this section, but it's a heading over the next three sections so these next three sections we're going to cover over the next three or four weeks are all warnings that, God, that Jesus is giving us under this beware heading or category here. So then we need to ask, beware of what? He says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Is that what Jesus is concerned about? Is Jesus concerned about us practicing righteousness? No. That's not it, because we just studied a couple weeks ago in chapter 5, in the first part of this same message, verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So is, is Jesus, uh, like, is he for or against righteousness? For. Can we all agree that he's for, he's pro-righteousness this morning, right? And one of the ways you grow in something is you do what? You practice it, right? Athletes, to get back to a sport, they practice it, right? Doctors don't do medicine, they 
practice medicine because they haven't got it all perfect yet. They're still working on it. Lawyers practice law. Athletes practice sports. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. God doesn't expect us to have it all together, especially in terms of righteousness. But he does want us to be growing in righteousness. And when we, we do that is by practicing it. So that's not it yet. So he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Let's keep going. Maybe there's something else here. Before other people. Maybe that's it. Is, is Jesus telling us not to be righteous in front of others? Not to do righteous acts and do good things in front of others? Is that what he's saying here? No, no. Again, back in chapter 5, in the first part of the message, in verse 16, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. One of the main ways that other people on the earth see the glory of God coming and, and around them and, and get to process that is through the lives and the actions of believers who are practicing righteousness and showing God's glory to others. So not beware of practicing righteousness, not beware of practicing in front of others, but keep going before the people in order, here we are, now we're on it, in order to be seen by them. Yes. That's the warning. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others so that they will see it and be impressed by you. Once again, Jesus is pushing past the behaviors and he's pushing down to the heart. In other words, don't practice righteousness with the wrong motive. To show off, to get attention, to have other people's uh, approval. Because he says, if you do that, you will receive no reward from your father. God will not share his glory with anyone. Period. You need to have that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that needs to be anchored in your soul. God refuses to share his glory with anyone. And if we're doing anything to try to take and steal and grandstand for God's glory, we are going to miss it. As Jesus kind of presses deeper into this teaching, he's going to start talking about hypocrites. Some of you have probably heard this before, but the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor. Someone who played a part, someone who was on stage and wasn't acting like their true selves, they were acting like someone else, right? That's where we get the word hypocrite. And if you read about Jesus in the Gospels or, you know, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, those kind of things, you'll see over and over again that his, his biggest critics, his biggest opponents in his ministry were these guys called the Pharisees. Heard of them before? And, and Jesus' greatest criticism of them, the, his greatest rebuke of the Pharisees was just this, that they were hypocrites, that they acted like they loved God. They went through all the religious stuff. They did all the right things. They checked all the boxes to show people, look how holy I am. But in their hearts, they weren't really doing it for God. They were doing it for them. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Beware of that. And sometimes when we think about hypocrites, it's easy for us to kind of pigeonhole that into like one kind of picture that we have. 
But as we really look at hypocrisy, it can actually manifest itself in several different ways. So I want to give you today three types of hypocrites. Not so you can be looking at others and deciding which type they are, okay? Let's just get off that train for a second, okay? Um, but maybe we need to examine our own hearts. And maybe we don't think of ourselves as hypocrites, but as I lay out these three types, maybe you'll see little pieces of your life where maybe hypocrisy is present that we need to deal with today. The first one I'm going to call the scheming deceiver. This is the one we think about most often when we think about hypocrisy. This is the person who fakes doing good in order to really do evil, right? They are completely conscious of what they're doing. They know that they're, that this is, that they're fake. They know they're putting on a show. They know they're, they're just showing off good in order to be able to do what they really want to do, which is the opposite of that, behind your back or whatever else. All right, that's usually what we think about when we think about a hypocrite. But there's two more types I want to show you. Number two is the self-deceiver. This is the person who truly believes their own fake persona. All right, Have you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they've been doing it so long, they've been going down this, they've been putting on the show for so long that they've even convinced themselves now that this is really who they are. But everyone around them can see that it's fake. All right? They're not deceiving anybody else. No one else really buys it. But they are so into it that they even have themselves fooled into believing that, yeah, this is, this is really me. This is who I am. This is my identity. But it's not, it's not real. And then the third one is even further down the road of hypocrisy. That's I call the snowed deceiver. They have themselves and everyone else believing their false persona. They've been in it for so long, and they're selling it so well, that not only are they fooling themselves into believing that this is who they really are, they now have everybody else fooled, and it becomes this vicious cycle. Because everyone else is buying into it, and so they're praising the false persona, which makes the guy want to do it even more, and amp it up even more, and then they praise more, and it just becomes the cycle that feeds itself over and over, and hypocrisy just continues and continues. Hypocrisy comes in different flavors and in different ways, and sometimes it can be very subtle and it can be even hidden from our own hearts and our own eyes. When we come to church, we want to worship and we want to we be with God's people. We want to be in the presence of the Lord and all that's good. But sometimes even in subtle ways, maybe we start getting so focused on our thing that we start making it about us more than we make it about Jesus. Sometimes maybe you come to church and, you know, like, you come and, and, and the worship bands kick in and like your jam comes on, man, and you are just worshiping all out, kind of like this little girl here. Check this out. All right. Cute, right? Cute. Come on. I'm sure her heart was totally pure. I'm not trying to pick on her at all, but I want to see some of those moves next week, okay? So um, I remember one time when I was a little boy, I grew up in this really conservative Baptist church and uh, I was on the front row with my mom and we were singing some song and, you know, I was like, five, six years old, and I was kind of getting into it, and I was kind of tapping my foot and moving a little bit and doing the thing, and, and get done with the song, and the song leader, like, totally calls me out. He's like, I wish we had some more people in the church who enjoyed the songs, like little Micah up here, and he's all moving around, and I'm just like, you know, like this kind of thing. Sometimes we have no intentions of making it about us, but sometimes somehow it still kind of twists that way. Are you with me? 
Sometimes maybe we're, we're, you're at church or you're in small group and you're praying out loud and you start getting more in your head and worried about what other people are thinking about what you're saying in the prayer than what you're actually thinking about what you're saying to God. Anybody ever had that one before? Right? Or how about, um, how about you, know, you know, being all bent out of shape because the church doesn't do it exactly the way I want it done or doesn't always meet my preferences just right. And if they had it a little bit hotter or a little bit colder in this crazy worship room, then I would be better off worshiping the Lord today. I only want to serve in certain positions that get the thank yous or get the attention or get, I don't want to serve over there, Mike, I need to serve over here. Or maybe it's even the pastor who feels that pressure every week to come up with some funny illustration so you guys want to keep coming back, right? Like, there's all these things that we do to really make this about us rather than about him. And again, it's not always purposeful. It's not like we're trying to be ugly. We're not we're trying to steal glory from the Lord consciously, but our heart is just, it's just that way. It's very easy for our heart to get turned towards us and turned away from him. And Jesus is here is warning us against that. So be careful. It's easy for all of us. It's in kind of this natural tendency for us to be self-focused over God-focused, but, it, but we can't, please listen to me, we can't be both. It has to be one or the other. You can't be self-focused and God-focused at the same time. Anytime I make it about me, it can't be about God. That's the first point this morning. Whatever it is, whether it's giving, whether it's serving, whether it's worshiping, whether, whatever the thing is we're trying to do for the Lord, if I, anytime I make it about me, then it's not about him. And we lose the purpose in it. So, point number one today, don't make it about me. Point number two, don't make it about men. Don't make it about men. In verse two, he says, thus when you give to the needy. Now, interesting point here for a second. This is kind of not in the mainstream of the message, but still important. Notice he says, when you give. Right? Not, not if you give, but when you give. There's, there's an expectation here that Jesus has for his people that we will be givers, that we will be generous. In the Old Testament, there were several, several laws and and rules and, like, and, regu- and regulations for how the Jews were supposed to care for the poor, for the orphan, for the widow, even for the sojourners, the foreigners who had come into their country who had nothing, how they were supposed to care for them. Over the years, that had developed into kind of a synagogue system where instead of maybe people doing it as much individually, they would come and they would give their offerings to the synagogue and then the priest or whoever would use that to help care for the poor in the area, very similar in some ways to our welfare system today, making sure they had food and clothing and a place to, you know, shelter or whatever and things like that. So this was expected by the Lord of his people and Jesus here is not taking that expectation away but rather saying this is still true. When you give, right? Jesus expects us to live generously for a couple reasons. Number one, because our God is a giver. Our God has given us life. He's given us resources. He's, he's given us his word that we're studying this morning. He's given us his son, Jesus, to come and die for our sins on the cross in our place to make a way for us to get back to God. 
He's a giver. And if we're going to be his followers, we're going to be his people, we have to be givers like he is. Also because giving shows love. Think about when somebody gives you something. The care, the, the compassion, the, the mercy, sometimes even the sacrifice in that gift. Remember our definition for love? You be for me. You guys should have that more by now. I think I've used that like 20 times since I've started preaching here. You be for me. That's what giving is, right? I'm, I'm giving you this because you need it more than I need it. And also we give because we receive to give. God doesn't give us and bless us and provide for us just for us. It's not supposed to stop here. We're supposed to be a channel of blessing to others as we give part of what he's given to us to those around us or to him or to the church. Or... So he says, when you give, but then he tells us how to do it. When you give, sound no trumpet, he says. Now, let's just talk about that for a second because I don't think many of you came in with a trumpet today. Um, and I didn't see my brick went out when we got ready to take up the offering, okay? So in this day and age, one of the things they would do when they got ready to have a big worship ceremony or service or a fasting service or whatever, they would sound a trumpet to kind of call everybody and say, hey, we're getting started, right? So they would use this trumpet and everybody would come in and they would do it. And sometimes they would do it in the synagogue, like it says here. Sometimes they would do it in the streets, like in the public square. But they would have these big fasting ceremonies or prayer ceremonies or worship ceremonies. And usually with those ceremonies, there was always some type of offering that would be given, okay? Um, usually, honestly, because they thought if they gave something, an offering, some money to God, he'd be more likely to respond to their worship and their prayers, which has some theology problems in and of itself. But nonetheless, that's what they did. And so is Jesus here against worship and giving offerings at worship services? No, not at all. The problem was, not with the giving, but with the, this was the only time they gave. They didn't give when there happened to be a need in front of them. They didn't give when the Holy Spirit led them to go down and give something. They waited and they only gave when the trumpet was sounded and all the people came and everybody got to see, oh look, look at them, how generous they are. Look how much they're giving. Look how great of a follower of God they are because they all every time we come together, every time man, every time we're here worshiping, they're giving something. Jesus' point here is, if I could put it in common vernacular today, um, don't toot your own horn. Heard that before, right? Like, that's what he's saying here. He says, sound no trumpet. Like, when you give, when you serve, when you do something for the Lord, don't make it about you. Don't make it about getting men's attention for you. He says, those who sound the trumpet to, uh, to be praised by others, right? Jesus here, he's exposing their true motives. It was, about, it was about showing off. It was about other people. It wasn't about the Lord. It wasn't about honoring him. It was about them showing off in front of others. Which leads us to the very important question for all of us of when we give, as Jesus says here, when we give, why do I give? And I'm not talking about just here in church, okay? I'm talking about in general, in your life, when you give, when you're generous, whether that be here in church, whether that be with a nonprofit organization, whether that be with somebody on the street corner, whether that be with a family member or a friend who's struggling right now, like whatever the, the thing is, when you give, why do you give? And I just kind of listed here five common motives for giving. I, I see in people, I see in our world, 
four of which aren't great, one of which Jesus would say, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, the first one, number one, is image. Sometimes people give because of image. It's about what other people think of me, right? I want people to see me give. I want them to think of me as generous, so I'm going to give when they're looking, and that's what Jesus is addressing here in this passage. I give because of image. Number two is guilt. Some of us, we give because we feel bad, right? Got Sarah on the TV with the sad puppies and the really weird song, and everybody's like, oh, I need to give something, right? Like, we give because we feel guilty, like we're, like we're going to be a bad person if I don't give to this thing. Image, guilt, number three. By the way, those first two are not great examples, okay? Those are not the motives God's looking for. He's not looking for it to make you puffed up. He's not looking to guilt you into giving as much as that might have been what you've experienced in the past in some settings, especially even in church settings, unfortunately. That's not God's purpose. He doesn't want to guilt you into giving. Number three, the third reason is extra. Extra. I've got some extra. Why can't? Why shouldn't I give it? Right? I got some extra clothes laying around the house. I got this. I got that. I, I made a little extra bonus this week. We can give to this to such and such or whatever. Like, and that's nothing wrong. Please hear me. There's nothing wrong with giving if you have extra. You should. But if that's the only time you give, now we got a problem. Jesus wants us to give sacrificially. He wants us to give even when we don't have extra. He wants us to be willing to put others before ourselves. Number four is reward. I give because I've heard that if I give a dollar, Jesus is going to give me ten. Right? I, I heard if, if I do this, then God's going to reward me like this. And so I give simply to get the reward. Now, does God's, prom, does God's words promise that he will bless and reward those who are faithful, generous givers? Yes, it absolutely does. We're going to see that in this passage. But if that's the only reason you're giving is to get the reward, now we're in a bad place. Because now I love the gift more than I love the giver. I love what God gives me more than I love him himself. Fifth reason, the one that Jesus uh, is calling us to in this passage is simply to reflect Jesus. The reason he wants us to give is out of a heart that loves God and wants to reflect his glory in this world, to reflect his love to other people. He wants us to be loving generously as he has loved us generously. It's about sharing his character with others. That's the reason God wants you to give. That's the heart he wants us to get to. Jesus goes on, he says, those who are praised by others, they have received their reward. In other words, if you want man's praise, fine, you got it. But that's all you're going to get. If you're giving, if you're serving, if you're doing the thing to get man's praise, fine, you can have it, but I'm not giving you anything else. That will be the sum total of your reward. It seems like it's easy to get this twisted Unfortunately, even in the church, I grew up in a bunch of different churches with di different church traditions. Um, and so if I, what I'm about to share, these examples, I'm not trying to call anybody out or you or your family or some other church. I'm just saying these are some things I've witnessed personally where I feel like we as a church could do a little bit better in this area. Um, I remember one church, um, 
I was a part of, they um, had this, this old piano uh, that somebody had donated to the church. You know, somebody died and left this money, and they bought the piano, and that's all great. We love that. And they, but they took a plaque, and they put it on the side of the piano, and it had the person's name, and so-and-so donated this. And, and because so-and-so donated this, um, we can never get rid of the piano now because if we get rid of it, it will dishonor their name forget the fact that it can no longer be tuned and that all the lead paint is chipping off and the leg is like duct taped on. Like we have to keep the piano because so-and-so gave it and their name's on it and everybody knows who gave it. And if we do something, that's going to dishonor their name. Are you tracking? Right? Like, is that, is that what Jesus wants for us? Um, I, we were part of one church and when you went into the hallway, they had this this nice big tree kind of on the wall there, and each leaf on the tree was a different little gold placard. And if you gave X amount of dollars to some special fund or whatever, you got to put your name on the tree or the name of a loved one. A lot of times people, somebody would die, and they would do it in their honor and put their name up there. But yet, that's, isn't that credit? Isn't that, like, man's, like, name on a tree in the hallway? Like, I don't, we do this at churches, we do this at schools. Right? Somebody donates a whole bunch of money to help build some building, and name goes up. Right? Such and such building over here, such and such building over there. Now listen, if, it's, if, if we're talking about a non-Christian person or a non-Christian institution, then all this goes out the window. Right? They can do whatever they want because they're not giving for God anyways. They're just giving because they want to give. Like They don't have Jesus yet. We're not judging them. We don't hate on them. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about for believers— for Christian churches and institutions, why are we doing things that are bringing praise and attention to men instead of glory to the Lord? And we all know why. Because in the psyche of the human mind, we have learned that if we dangle a little carrot out here to get somebody some praise and attention, they will give more. But that's not Jesus' way. For followers of Jesus, he is clearly warning us not to seek attention or credit for giving. It's about worship. It's about who and what are we doing it for. The moment that I start doing it for credit and I start doing it for me, I'm actually worshiping myself. Or I'm worshiping the praise of men rather than worshiping the Lord Almighty. It's a worship issue. When I give for the sake of men, I settle for the empty esteem of man. If this is my motive, if this is my reason, if I'm giving for the sake of men, for the praise of men, for the recognition of men, then I'm settling. I'm, I'm settling for less than what the Lord would love to give me if I would do it from the heart that was for him rather than for me. So don't make it about me. Don't make it about men. Third point this morning, make it about the master. Verse three, he says, let's look at here. He says, but when you give, again, here we are with the when you give thing, right? Like, so he's hitting it again, which is interesting to me because I think what he's doing here is he's very subtly tearing down an argument that people love to use when it comes to hypocrisy in the church, Right? I would do that, but, you know, all those other Christians that are hypocrites, they do that, and I don't want to be like them, so I'm just not going to do that. 
I'm just not going to go to church. I'm just not going to serve. I'm just not going to give. I'm not going to do this or that because that's what those hypocrite Christians do, and I don't want to be like them. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Just because somebody else screws it up doesn't mean you stop. Just because somebody else makes a mistake in how they do it doesn't change my expectations for you, my followers. I'm still calling you to do it and to do it right, to do it well, to set that standard, to set that bar. He says, when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I've never really been good with anatomy, but I'm pretty sure that's like physically impossible, right? Like for your left to not know, like, well, like my body is aware of it. So like you could like get like a lobotomy, I guess, and like, you know, cut that thing in between the two halves of the brain. And then like you have like the no crosstalk or something. But like Jesus isn't really talking about physical bodies here. You get that, right? He, he's, he's using here a, a hyperbole, an exaggeration to make a point. He does this a lot in scripture. If you don't pick up on it, you can get yourself really twisted sometimes in your theology, okay? He's making an overstatement here, but he explains it in the next statement. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. That's his point. So that you're giving not to seek man's attention, not to seek applause, not to seek recognition. You're doing it for the Lord. Do it in secret. He's still talking about motive here. He's not talking about physical bodies, and he's talking about motive. He's talking about your heart. Which is, this is another area where sometimes we have to be careful, especially in the church, because we can actually become hypocritical about secrecy in our giving. We're so scared about being hypocrites by giving for our applause and blah, 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 that we, we run to this given secret, given secret, given secret, and we actually find that we become hypocritical on that side of things as well because that's the human heart. It tends to make idols wherever we go. So let me give you, just real briefly here, uh, three types of secrecy hypocrites. All right, beware of secrecy hypocrites as well. Uh, the first one is the person who makes a big deal that no one knows what they give. You, ever met, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we give, but we, we don't tell anybody, and nobody knows what I give, man. I, I keep that because the Lord says keep it a secret, and so I keep it a secret. Nobody knows what I give. And they make a big deal out of that every, all the time. Okay, great. But by doing that, you're still making it about you. <laughs> now your pride is not in how much you give. Now your pride is in the fact that look how well I'm following God's word, and I'm, I'm doing it just right, and everybody else isn't doing it right, but I'm doing it right, and Still hypocritical. Still pride. It's still about me, even though I've changed the measurement. Another example would be someone who makes a really big deal about churches keeping giving records for taxes. I've heard this argument before, too. Like, churches shouldn't track how much you give, and they shouldn't do that because you're giving unto the Lord, and so that's secret, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, listen. The Bible is not against good accounting and good record keeping and, and good and, you know good financial practices. The book of Proverbs talks about that in droves, right? To be responsible and to keep accounts and like that's very, very clear. And it's not against following the law of the land, which is part of this whole process as well. Okay? Now, at the end of the year, when you get your giving record for your taxes, if you start 
snapping pictures and putting it on Instagram and Facebook, okay, now we might have a problem, okay? But the problem isn't of the keeping of the records. The problem is of you using it in a way that honors the Lord and follows the laws of our land that he has set up through the proper authorities. A third one is someone who makes a really big deal about showing gratitude to others for generous giving. Some people get on this big kick like, you know, we shouldn't say thank you to anybody. We shouldn't give applause. We shouldn't give recognition. We shouldn't, you know, whether they're serving or giving whatever, like, we shouldn't make it a big deal because then we're giving them the credit and we're not giving God the credit and blah, blah, blah. You know what that is? That's somebody who, like, wants to keep it secret but wants to be mad about it. <laughs> like, I'm going to give in secret, but I'm not happy that I have to because now we're not going to be given the thank yous and the gratitude and blah, blah, blah. Although God's word over and over and over again tells us to be thankful, to give gratitude. The more I study God's word, the more I see it in almost every book where God stresses that we should have hearts of thankfulness and gratitude. And you'll hear us uh, at times up here where we say thank you to so-and-so for serving there or thank you for serving here or doing this or we'll tell the whole church, thank you so much for your faithfulness in the giving this past month. Like, we want to recognize when God is working in people's lives. That's worth our thanks and our gratitude, not just to them, but to the Lord. So don't let this whole, like, giving and secret thing make you get all legalistic on the other side either. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a heart that is giving out of worship and love and glory for him. That's what he's going after. Because he says right here, the one who gives in secret, the father who sees in secret, which just pause for a second there, side note, that's awesome. God sees in secret. Our God sees everything. That's how powerful he is. He doesn't miss a beat. Psalm 139, 1 through 6 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in before and behind behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. That's the difference between us and God. He sees it all. He doesn't miss a thing. And usually that's kind of scary, right? Because we immediately start thinking about, well, man, he saw what I did last night and, and what I said to so-and-so this week. And, right? Like we start thinking about all the sin and failures that we have in our life and all, how he sees all of that, and he does, okay? And we need to seek him for forgiveness and repentance, but in this case, Jesus isn't using it as a negative. It's a positive. That when you give with a true and generous and loving heart, be sure that if no one else sees it, it's okay because God sees it. He sees it. He sees you. He's intimately acquainted with your life and your heart and what you're doing and where you're going. And it says, and he will reward you. That's a promise. It's a promise from our God that he will reward those who give in earnest hearts. Let me tell you, our God always keeps his promises. That promise should motivate us that I can do this. I can give without reward, without recognition, without applause, without because I know God sees it and he will take care of me. I don't need man's applause. I don't need man's recognition because God himself 
will reward. And that should also build us with expectation. So let me just tell you, whatever reward God's got coming, everything man can offer you pales in comparison to the phenomenal reward that God, our Father, the creator of all things, has in store for those who love and follow him. There was once this couple, he was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and they were driving back to their hometown and where they kind of grew up together, and they pulled into this gas station and to get some gas, and so the, the husband gets out, and it's kind of one of those old school, so he goes inside to pay for the gas thing, and he comes back out, and his wife has actually gotten out of the car, and she's talking with the service guy there, like one of the service guys there at the gas station. So they're chatting it up or whatever, and so he pumps the gas and gets back in the car, and, 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 and uh, he finds out that this was somebody that his wife had dated in the town before the two of them ever got together. And so uh, they're in the car, and they're kind of driving away, and they're not really saying much. They're kind of, you know, sitting there quietly, and finally the husband pipes up, and he says, hey, uh, I, 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 bet, I bet I know what you're thinking. She's like, what? He's like, I bet you're glad you married me, the CEO of the Fortune 500 company and not him, the service station attendant. And she just kind of lovingly looked over at her husband and smiled. And, no, I was thinking that if I'd have married him, he'd be the CEO of the Fortune 500 company and you'd be the service station attendant. Men? Amen? Come on, right? Come on, let's just be honest today, right? Like, just smile and nod. Sometimes it's easy for us to want to take the credit, right? I did it, my hard work, my diligence, my intelligence, my, my, my keen business sense, my raw talent, I did it, this is me. Look at, look at what I've achieved. The only problem is when I jump up to take the credit, I steal the credit from God. He's the one who gave me the talent. He's the one who gave me the resources. He's the one who gave me the abilities and the, the mind and all of it. It's from him. He's the giver of all good gifts. He's the source behind everything good and godly in my life. Without him, I would be nothing. And when I remember that, and I serve on his behalf, he is glorified and in turn promises even greater blessings for my life. The less credit I take, the more credit God gets and the more credit God gives. The less credit that I take for my life, for my service, for my giving, for my stuff, the more credit God gets for the awesome work that he's doing in and through me. And in turn, he promises to credit that back to my account as reward. I don't have to fight. I don't have to, to claw. I don't have to try to maneuver and outthink and outsmart everybody else to get what's coming to me, to get the reward that I want, to get what I think I deserve. I don't have to work at that. I just have to work to honor the Lord, and he will make sure 
I get the credit that I am owed for faithfulness, for generosity, for a pure heart. Giving generously from a heart of humility pleases God greatly. That's what it's all about anyways, right? Glory to God the Father. That's why we're here. That's the purpose of our lives. That's the purpose of this church. That's what we should be about. Making great the name of our King. We pray, we serve, we worship, we lift his name high, not ours. To be a servant of the King means to honor him, not me, in every act of generous giving. So as we soul search today, as we look at our own hearts, our own lives for areas that maybe we need to do a little correction in terms of hypocrisy, a little correction in terms of who we're seeking and what we're doing and the motives behind why we're doing what we're doing, um, let's just ask the Lord to help us in that with grace and mercy for our failures and strength and power from his Holy Spirit to help us turn the corner on that and be sincere. If you're not sincere, if the motive's wrong, again, he's not saying to stop. He's not saying to stop serving or stop giving or stop coming to church. He's not telling you to stop. He's just telling you to get the heart right. Let's stand and pray and respond to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Thank you, God, so much for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for being present with us. You're so faithful every week to come and meet with us here, speak to us, to change us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a great and generous God who showers us with your grace. Lord, we have so much more than we could ever deserve, and it all flows from your hands. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we try to upstage you, when we try to steal your glory, when we make our act of generosity about us. Lord, free us. Free up our hearts from the need for men's applause and men's praise. Turn our hearts to desire you and you alone. Father God, we know, we know that if we have you, we have everything we could ever want or need. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace in our lives. We need you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.